Oh my goodness, is that Austin Cabot? Whoa, is that Abe Schmucker? What? Uh, what is going on, dude? Hey, Austin, can you do me a favor and give me a, a, a welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show? Oh, man, are you going to play the music? Or we I, I can play the music, music but uh, you've got to come in at the right time. So check this out, okay. guys. We're playing on the board. Nice. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot. And I'm Abe Schmucker. And today, we're talking with Austin. What is going on? It's been so long. I I miss you so much. I think I nailed the timing on that intro. I think you rocked it. Yeah. Dude, I was getting so pumped. I haven't heard that music in a while. How long has it been since you've been on a show? I think we did we did that quick one right before the Autobahn event back in June-ish, end of June. That's so long ago. Yeah. It feels so, like a lifetime. Man, and my life looks completely different now than it did then. Completely different. It's crazy. <laughs> so what have you been up to, Austin? The last time we talked with you, uh, you had just ventured into a career that was uh, upended by coronavirus. Yeah. So the aviation thing, I still want to do but if I would have powered through that program and finished up next May, it was highly likely that I was not going to be able to find a flying job um, at that time. And so, so like, uh, the way the program was working, you were paying um, like per credit, I guess. So like, it's not as if you paid a one-time fee all up front and then like now you're out a bunch of money. Well, you kind of pay everything up front. Now, I borrowed a lot of money up front. Um, And then when I left the school recently, all that money, the remaining money that I hadn't spent yet got returned to the lender. Okay. So I only spent what I've spent up to this point, which is nice. Nice. Well, I think at the time you had talked to me a little bit about the the school that you were going to was very um, uh, commercial- is I think the right word, but like, it's more, it's more broad than that. You, you felt like it was kind of, um, uh, what's, how would I say it? It was, uh, clinical, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. Do you remember when you were in middle school, how the teachers and administration treated you when you were in middle school? Sure. That's kind of what it felt like. Well, uh, so like it just, I don't know. It just didn't, bode well for me and you know after speaking with jessica my wife uh we kind of decided that it it would probably be a good time to go ahead and do something different i'm still going to be flying but my timeline now is a little bit uh a little bit slower than it was before have you considered a career in crop dusting uh i haven't yet those guys those guys guys are insane that just looks really really sketchy man so uh, I work for an agriculture company and I spend at least a little bit of time around crop dusting planes. And uh, those guys are maniacs, just yeah. absolute maniacs. There's nothing like going a hundred miles an hour, like eight feet above the ground. 
No, and, I mean, that'll definitely teach you how to fly. That's for well, sure. Well, and it's it's not as if the ground is flat like it is in Indiana. If you're like, no, if you're crop dusting in Nebraska, uh, the reason you crop dust is uh, it's too rugged to effectively move a ground sprayer, right? Yeah. So you're, you're driving through like peaks and valleys. Like rolling hills, yeah. Trying to maintain an eight foot uh, like ceiling. It's, those guys are crazy. Yeah, those guys are nuts, man. Like literally they're just skimming the surface of the earth and going with the contours of the, the ground. It'd be a really cool job, but at the same time, I don't think I'm quite that crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's extremely hazardous. I think everybody knows somebody who died. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think out of all aviation professions, I think crop dusting probably has the most fatalities every year. So I remember uh, talking with a guy last year and he was, he was telling a story about one of his friends and his friend's dad and his dad was like 85 and still crop dusting. And they were like, yeah, he like had an incident and he died, but uh, you know, back to work the next day. I mean, to be honest, dude, I've been crop dusting since I was five, but it's just a different kind of crop dusting. Uh, that's, that will happen. <laughs> so, um, are you like, are you like back into cars? Uh, maybe. I want to be back into cars. You, are, would you my call budget, yourself car my curious? Just a little bit different than it used to be. You're car curious? Yes, I am definitely car curious. Um, so lately, so well, let me back up. So I no longer live in Orlando, Florida. It was much too hot, much too flat. Uh, I now live outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Shout so, out to our uh, boys in Tennessee, including one Matt Williams. We love you. Yeah, I was just over at Matt's house yesterday watching his kids launch their bikes off of ramps in the driveway. <laughs> so oh, he's, he's definitely bringing them up right. So, so I, uh, what, I'm about 20, 20 minutes from Matt. What but uh, prompted I'm also the move? 20 minutes from the tail of the dragon. Well, that's which, not too bad. as most listeners know, it's my favorite place in the world. In the world? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say in the world. Man, I, I don't know. If I had to decide what my favorite place in the world might be, it might be Road America or it might be Blackhawk. Yeah. I love both of those places. Okay. I mean, so for me, I love this place because it's so accessible. I can pretty much come up here anytime. There were times when I lived in Atlanta where it'd be 11 p.m. and I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go for a drive. And then three and a half hours later, I found myself at Deals Gap, standing at the Overlook, in the middle of nowhere, looking at the Milky Way. It was just amazing. That does sound nice. Sounds so, really nice. So the location is, is quite prime, uh, but we also bought a house that sits on five acres. So as I told you before we came on the air today, I was bush hogging for like five hours today. And that wasn't, uh, that wasn't just manscaping? No, that was not just manscaping. That was actual landscaping. It's out of control, Austin. It, <laughs> so, so I did that, and then I got on my supermoto and rode around my backyard. I put 20 miles in on my supermoto in my backyard, designing and cutting in a track. Nice. So, in the backyard. Uh, in the time that maybe you've been off of the show... Um, you got crazy into motorcycles and you had a bunch of them, uh, today, how many motorcycles do you have? Uh, how many are actually mine or how many are in my possession? Both. 
Uh, two of them are mine. Six of them are in my possession. Why do you have four motorcycles that do not belong to you? Uh, they were my dad's. Okay. Well, then so there's who did- four motorcycles that were my dad's, um, who we talked about on the last show passed away. So I've got them with me now and just starting to get them worked on. And I'm trying to decide what I'm going to keep and what I'm going to get rid of. Gotcha. So he was, uh, did, did he have a particular style in motorcycle or is it, uh, is it kind of across the board? Yeah. I mean, so my dad's big thing, he loved a single sided swing arm. So a swing arm where it only connects on one side on the back wheel. Who makes those? Uh, so BMW, Ducati. Ducati's probably the most famous for it. Sure. Um, and then Triumph has a lot of them as well. So, and I'm sure there's more out there too, but those are kind of the ones that are, you know, the most popular. Got it. So, so he has in, in the, the six motorcycles, um, start with oh. yours. What do you have? So I have a 99 Honda VFR 800 and a 2008 Yamaha WR250X, which is a factory supermoto. What happened? You did have a Triumph previously that you did a bunch of stuff with. What happened to that? Yeah. So, well, the first one that I rode across the country, I ended up selling in lieu of a bigger Triumph. So the first one was a 675cc and then I sold it and got a 1050cc. That's so big. Which was a bad boy, man. A real bad boy. I, honestly, I think anything above 500cc is more speed than any one person should ever have. Yeah, they're pretty quick. I mean, to be honest, though, my favorite motorcycle and the one that I've had the longest is my Yamaha WR250. It's a little 250cc single cylinder, uh, and it's a, a dual sport, so you can drop it and everything. I wrecked it in the yard twice today, um, <laughs> just on wet grass. So, cause I don't have dirt tires on it right now. I have dirt wheels for it in the garage, but I didn't put them on while I was riding the track in cause I didn't want to get too crazy. Hmm. So that bike's probably been wrecked or dropped probably 30 or 40 times and it's fine. Well, there's something to be said for that. When I had my R6, I was like always afraid of crashing because it was heavy enough that like, if I did drop it, it would be a chore to get back upright. Yeah, no, absolutely. What's nice about this thing is that it only weighs like 290 pounds. So you drop it and you just giggle a little bit and then you pick it up and everything. It's, I mean, essentially it's a dirt bike. It's designed to be wrecked. Nice. So I've wrecked it many times without ever having to replace a single thing. And what about your dad's bikes? What, what are the four bikes there? So my dad has a 2005 BMW K1200S, which is pretty much like the German Hayabusa. So that's a pretty mean boy. And then he has a 2011 Triumph Speed Triple that's just like my old one that I had, but his is white. And then he has a 2000 BFR 800, which is just like my 99 that I have, except it's yellow instead of red. And then he also has a 1995 Ducati 900SSSP. So old school Ducati. That's awesome. So, yeah. So he, he, he liked the toys. He didn't use them as much the way that I do. He was more of a collector and an appreciation of what they are. Not so much of enjoying what they can do. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that you've been there, but I want to uh, talk to you about it. In January, I went with Smedegard and some friends to Barber Motorsport Park. Oh, that place is beautiful, man. And I went inside the museum for like 30 seconds just to use the restroom. 
and I was blown away by the motorcycle museum. It's ridiculous. So do you remember that old school Nissan commercial with like the Nissan vault? Yeah. Where like the cleaning guy walks in and it's all these Nissans. I feel like that's what the Barber Museum is like. Absolutely. But even on like an even higher scale, the place is just ridiculous. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's I would insane. like very much to do an event there. I think it would be amazing. Oh, yeah. That would be probably one of the best tracks to have an event at. Um, aside from like going off and hitting guardrails and mowing grass there. It can you get know, I've, I've heard the stories about mowing grass, but quite honestly, like there aren't that many like people that have said, yeah, I go, I go, Smedegar's like, yeah, I go off all the time. I never get a bill. Yeah, I think it's more it's more the guardrails, but that's the same at any track you go to. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think in um, in the instances of grid life, if someone hits a guardrail, I don't that cost is not usually passed on to the driver because you know, like adding insult to injury. But like the the track does charge a fee for broken concrete. Oh yeah, and it's not cheap. But um, I just uh, I just set a. Uh, an inquiry to James Houghton to see if he wants to to join us on the show. If he replies oh, yeah. back, I'm calling him up. Nice. One of the cool things about this board is that I can just have like people dialed in and they just show up and we just keep recording. So it's just like a hangout show. It's pretty much a hangout show. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but I posted on Facebook recently. Uh, the, our friends at FCP Euro threw us a little bit of love and they, they oh, yeah, I saw that. added us to the list of automotive podcasts you need to listen to. Yeah. Um, and James, James made it too. Yeah. Well, uh, time with attackers is good show, but, uh, you know, they do like six episodes and then they take a two year break. (laughs) That's just the way the Canadians work, man. I guess, man. We're on episode. I think this is episode 361. Man. We've been doing Mm -hmm. a lot this year, but during event season, it's really hard to release two a week. Like it really is, man. We've been. Uh, I would say probably, I mean, there's just no time. If we had, uh, if we had you recording shows with people in the South, that would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, so there's two guys that live close by to me that I would love to have on the show. Um, one of them is Sam Smith, formerly of road and track who is now at Haggerty. Oh, interesting. So he lives kind of close to Matt Williams, actually. And the other is Zach Bowman, um, who writes for Road and Track. I would love to have both of them on sometime. Man, that'd be cool to write for Road and Track. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys, Sam is probably one of my favorite, favorite automotive journalists that exists right now. Yeah, I don't know. Like, automotive journalism at the moment, I don't want to say that, like, I'm, I'm disconnected to, but, like, it's it's hard to get into writing where it's just like a uh, regurgitation of a spec sheet. It's like, well. Yeah. Which is what I like about what Sam does. So Sam writes more about experiences. Sure. Do you remember when there was that guy that got to drive all of the old classic indie cars at the Indianapolis Raceway? No, but it sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was Sam. Okay. So, and he has a, a vintage racing background and everything, so... He's, uh, he's kind of my, my favorite out of all of the current writers out there. If anyone else is listening, sorry, no offense, but no one listens. Everything that Sam garbage. writes is just, I love it. Um, 
what else is going on? So I, I have a child now, so that's that's something. Yeah, you sold your house. I didn't. Oh, that's right. You didn't. I, I you thought, thought you I, did. I thought I did, but then I didn't. You thought you did. Um, but you're I, shopping for houses. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I would uh, not be surprised if we end up in an apartment for some period of time. We'll just we'll see. Yeah, just ride it out, man. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. It'll be what it is. I've been I've been shopping for cars lately. For what? I've been trying to figure out what I want. I need something that's not too expensive that gets good mileage and handles well on curvy roads. Eighth Gen Civic I've SI is the best it. car. It's the best Do car. What? Eighth Gen Civic SI. Nah, I think I'm gonna go for a Fiesta ST. I mean, a little yeah. bit lighter, a little bit better on the consumables because you can fit 15s on it. The factory brakes are actually really good, including the factory brake pads, and they're really cheap. Hmm. So, plus, you can get one for about $7,500 to $9,500 right now. And they come with factory Recaro's optional. I, uh, yeah, but 8th Gen, 8th Gen Civic Si is cheaper than that. Yeah, but they're just kind of heavy, man. I'm going to end up blowing through tires real quick on it. You think? And I can't fit 15s on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you probably you definitely couldn't do 15s. I think, uh, I think the standard wheel on it it's a 17. Yeah. Hmm. So there, there's just something about the Fiesta ST that I've always liked. You know, I actually I test drove one before I bought my TDI wagon, and I took my work car over there and put all of my stuff in it, and I just couldn't make it work. So I haven't been paying attention for a little while. Um, I know for a period of time the Fiestas were disallowed for autocross. Um, are they? I think the base the base Fiestas were okay. The the Fiesta ST is just low enough that it would pass the requirements. Okay, but is it is it tippy even though it passes? Oh, uh, I mean it'll three wheel a lot of places. It's a um, a torsion bar rear. Got it. So it's pretty easy to three wheel it. Sounds. But funny. hey, that just makes the rear tires last longer. Yeah, well that's true. All about consumables. Um, I've been busy RVing, uh, going, we, I took, uh, Ashley and Sloan out to Pikes Peak. Uh, okay. it was super fun. It was a long time in the RV, uh, including like one of our driving days was like 12 or 13 hours with a baby, uh, which is, oh, wow. a, which is a long time. Yeah. Um, and the reason it was so long is because we have to stop and like feed her every couple of hours, but she did really well. Um, and well, you're in an RV. Why do you have to stop? Safety. Okay. Like, Somebody needs to develop some sort of like some baby feeding harness. <laughs> Just a straw. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we bought a van. You bought a van? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Odyssey. Yeah. Heck yeah. It's pretty nice. They're pretty cool, man. I mean, even though I don't have kids, I would totally rock a minivan. Well, I will say that 280 horsepower out of a minivan is more than enough. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's stupid. Why does it have that much power? I really think that thing might actually be faster than a Fiesta ST. I, I mean, of course it's heavy, but it's, it's way too powerful. Like, what's zero to 60 in those things? I'll have to look. If only we had a device connected to all the information in the world. It's probably like high sixes or low sevens. Let's see. I think they're pretty dang quick. Honda Odyssey 0 to 60. Uh, 6.6? Yeah. 
CSS key 6.7, man. That's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's so dumb. Yeah. Um, That's so great, man. Okay, so you've got this awesome... I mean, is it fair to call it an outbuilding? What is what is this extra room on your house? So this extra building on the property is about three years old. And it was built as an art studio for the woman that lived here formerly. So what's nice about it, it's about uh, right at about 700 square feet, maybe a little bit bigger. Has its own bathroom that's ADA compliant, has big double doors so that she could get a wheelchair in here because she was wheelchair bound. Uh, it has washer and dryer hookups, which also means that there's 220 in it. Nice. Uh, and there's just a lot of nice open windows, and it's got a, a split a split unit, um, AC and heater. So it's all climate controlled, and uh, I'm going to turn it into a garage slash office slash guest room for when my car friends come to visit. Dang. And... Uh, one of the things that we love so much about you uh, is that you had an RV, but you don't have an RV anymore. I don't have an RV anymore. It did get sold, and it sold in about three hours. It was ridiculous. Is that right? The RV market is hot right now. That's because people can't afford houses, man. No, it's because they can't afford or they they don't want to travel on airplanes and they don't want to stay in hotels. That's true, too. Well, I mean, that's that's the big reason for why we drove out to Pikes Peak, which, um, you know, I've been working from home since March and uh, we don't get vacation carryover this year. So we have to use what we have. And I was like, well, we're not traveling anywhere. So and I don't really want to fly on an airplane. So we might as well just drive. Yeah. How was that drive? I mean, it was boring as shit, but like it happened. Yeah. Um <laughs> But like, I don't know, no, no complaints really. I mean, it was like, um, the drive back was weird because Waze took us instead of interstate 70, which would be the main road. It took us on highway 40, which is, I think about 30 or 40 miles South of I 70 ish. Okay. Um, and it runs East to West from Colorado Springs, uh, like deep into Kansas. Okay. And, uh, you could tell that like that used to be the main road. Um, but all the towns that were on that road were like dead closed up. Yeah. And uh, there was an instance where we had maybe a quarter tank of gas and uh, we drove through a town and I did not see any gas station of any kind. Oh man. Um, but Ashley wanted to nurse the baby. So we, we turned around and went back into town and there was just by pure coincidence, I found a, a pump that was at like a co-op. Um, it wasn't a gas station, so to speak. It was, yeah, it was like an agricultural co-op. Yeah. And I yeah. found a gas pump and that's where we filled up. And nice. I swear it was a hundred miles before we found another town with fuel. Oh jeez! So you like always cut North and gone up to the interstate. Well, I mean, yeah, we could have, but that was a long drive too. So yeah, I don't know. We were just like, it was one of those things where we just kept driving and we were like, well, eventually we getting, have to hit a road. Getting right? a little scared. And, uh, another element that was weird about the drive back was that we were following kind of a, a really, really nasty thunderstorm. Um, and it's traveling East to West for the most part, but there was an instance where we were driving East 
into a headwind that had to be 50 miles an hour. Oh man. Um, you just burning tons of gas. up. Oh dude, it was weird. And like, I mean, it was, it was like a dust bowl moment where it was dry and windy and like, it looked like fog. You just couldn't see anything. And it was dust, man. Yeah. Storms out on the plains are no joke, man. But I, I made, kept making Ashley like check for tornadoes and stuff uh, on the weather report, but she couldn't find anything. So (laughs) yeah, you can have your own like little wizard of Oz moment. Yeah. It was strange. Um, what else is happening? Oh, well, you made it safe. So like you haven't been, how long has it been since you've been to a grid life event? I have not been to a grid life event. Well, pretty much since last road Atlanta. Uh, cause I did that RV trip where I went to road Atlanta and then flew up for the FCP Euro open house, oh, yeah. um, game night. And then where'd I go after that? Went to speed ring and then went home for a couple weeks and then came out to Vegas for um, game night. Got it. Man, so it's but, been like basically a year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of the Gridlife family really since, yeah, since Vegas. Are people even going to know who you are anymore? Probably not, man. I look completely different now. You've got like a haircut and... Yeah, the long, the super long hair is gone and I was wearing it a little bit longer on top. But uh, maybe about four weeks ago, we went ahead and just buzzed it with a number two everywhere. Oh, that, that sounds clean. Yeah. So it's really easy to take care of. Yeah, I've just like given up on haircuts and shaving entirely. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what makes it easy is I can cut my hair myself now. I think that's why my wife wanted me to do it. She was tired of cutting my hair. Yeah. I think Ashley did mine twice, and then I've I went to a barber once or twice since March. Um, it's weird. I don't like it. No, uh, I, just, I don't know. Just shave it. Yeah, I probably should. Yeah, just shave it right in time for winter, so you can stay nice and warm with your hair. Well, I mean, I don't leave. I don't really leave my house very much. I mean, um, I am on. I'm an essential employee, but I can do a large part of my job uh, from home. And, uh, we are expected to, um, be using work from home status for the most part, at least until the first quarter of next year. Oh, wow. So our prime, actually, we just got a notification today that our primary office building, not the research labs, but like the office building is going down to like, um, uh, like a a dormant status, uh, because people are just literally not supposed to be in there. Yeah. Yeah. But man, such a weird time right now. It is. Um, let's see. What else have we? What else have we got to talk about? You. Well, we've got we've got some some news on the data front, right? Uh, on the data logging front. Yeah. Not news, but I don't know if you guys have talked about it on the show yet. But last week, that new Garmin Catalyst came out. Yep. Or maybe two weeks ago. Yep. Uh, and it is a pretty cool device. Um. I think actually Alex Moss put some words together uh, on his Facebook today that yeah on the Super K Facebook that right? that talked about what it does really well and like areas that it uh, isn't the perfect tool and you know that uh, uh, Apex Pro has been an advocate on the show for some time and we've been working with them and like uh, at the moment I actually am not concerned at all about like recommending both products because I think they're different yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, the first time that we talked to, uh, to Andrew Raines when we were at PRI, 
that's what he he had said because Adam and I both asked him, you know, how does it compare to the you know to the AIM solo? And essentially, they kind of augment each other. Yeah. So I know, um, like Andrew uh, Mishra, as uh, just an example, runs an AIM solo and an Apex Pro in his car at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that so there are elements to the Garmin Catalyst that I think are extraordinary. But the thing that I thought was unusual is like. Um, you know, finding your speed versus distance trace and like looking at your data that way is not something that it does. Okay. It doesn't like appear to present data. It doesn't give you the graphs. No, it just tells you what to do. So it's like the Apple iPhone of data loggers, I guess. Yeah. Where it's like, but the things that it does do that I think are very cool is like it will, uh, when you come off track, it will tell you about opportunities that exist for you to increase your pace. As an example, like if you're breaking into turn one at Road America, and let's use, for example, that there is a billboard on your right-hand side. If you're breaking 100 yards before the billboard, but the the system thinks that you should be breaking uh, like 75 yards before the billboard, it will show you like video footage of where you should start applying the brakes and what your field of view looks like. Really? Yeah. It's really cool. cool. Um, and it will like, it will stitch together the video of your, your ideal lap. And it'll tell you like, uh, track wider here, apply brakes sooner, apex earlier. Like it will give you that audio feedback in your Bluetooth headphones. And that's, that is pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat, man. But there, I think the caveat to that is um, much like you could say uh, an instructor telling a driver exactly what to do and when to do it, um, like being able to take those instructions and like internalize it and do it without being told is like something that remains to be seen, right? Yeah. I wonder if it'll ever get to a point where a system like that is outlawed in competition. Potentially. Yeah. Because it could give you effectively, it could give you race strategy even where if it, if it knows your plus minus and like what your pace needs to be in order to, to close a gap and like still maintain your, your fuel load and things like that. Like, I guess it's possible someday in the future that we're true. Oh, you know, it'd be real wild, man. What if you could hook those up to your phone, like Bluetooth, and then it uses a cell connection and other people that are on track with you at the same time, it can show you like real time where they are or what speed they're doing or something like that. That'd be really weird. It would be weird. Yeah. Um, another thing that we can talk about, cause I know that you recorded the show with them. Um, over the last couple of events, we've had a, a serious competitor in a Tesla model three. Okay. Um, you did that show with Unplugged Performance a while back, and I will yeah, say... Yeah, Mike and I went up there. I am amazed at how much performance potential exists in those cars. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, right? Actually, did you see the new news today about the Model S Plaid? Yeah, I did. Uh, oh, God, uh, the one, stats look ridiculous. It's expensive. Laguna is crazy fast. Yeah. Now, I don't Are we know... talking, what, 0 to 60 in like 2.2 seconds? So I did look... Um, and according to the internet, 1.30 at Laguna, or the, the time that the Tesla Plaid recorded is faster than a McLaren P1 around Laguna. That's crazy, man. It's nuts. 
That's ridiculous. Jesus. So, I mean, that thing, and what were they saying? Like 1,100 horsepower equivalent or something? Yeah. And like 500 plus mile range. It's like, no. That's it's, crazy. It's like, it's like all the things. Yeah. But um, I am really, really interested to see a person that has one of the electric Porsches bring it to an event because I genuinely want to see how fast those are. I think it'd be pretty quick, man. I really do. Well, I know Matt Farah did that review a while back about the um, the Taycan Turbo S, and he was just like, no, this is, this is too fast. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only time I've heard him say something is too fast. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just ridiculous, man. So I am in, what, two weeks I'm going down to Florida to drive the 911 back up here. Okay. So What year have, is that? Do what? What year is that? That's an 84. That sounds nice. So now my biggest fear is that it's going to be great on some of the roads around here, but on a real tight road like the Dragon, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it, man. Mm, it it's almost be- too analog. Well, it's it's just different, right? Like it's it's vintage. Yeah, I well, I'll enjoy it. I'll put it this way. I'll enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be that fast up there. No, I, I would I would almost guarantee that it isn't. Right? Yeah. Like you running a, a late nineteen sixties or early seventies Porsche nine eleven isn't gonna be fast either, but it would be nice. Yeah. Like it'll be it'll be fun and enjoyable. But that's kind of why I'm looking at the Fiesta ST as well, because I kind of want something that is going to be quick that people don't really expect. Um, what was Scott Giles was on the show last week, I think, and he talked about building a Fiesta ST as a sleeper car for GLTC. I think it worked pretty good, man. You can get them pretty light, and I mean they're not factory that extreme. trim. They're twenty two thousand seven hundred twenty pounds. That's awesome. Well, and his argument was that they're not particularly expensive. No. And, uh, well, they're turbo, so you can make power if you need to, and you can, yep. you can tune it appropriately. You can limit the power, yep. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, and uh, I think there is, on the show, he was saying that there's basically this uh, street wisdom right now that, that believes the only way to be competitive in GLTC is to build a, a K24-powered something. And okay. his argument was like, well, I can think of five or six things that I'd build today that would rival any K24 car in the field. Yeah. And on that list, one was a Fiesta ST. Another one was well, one of those V6 Camaros. And yep. uh, just like there are a bunch of things available, like if you want to do it and be different. Yeah. Somebody just has to do it. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, maybe you should come up to Midwest in a couple of weeks. I was thinking about it. What are the dates again? Let me look. Because it's, uh, it's not like you have anything better to do. Yeah, I got to go down to Florida at one point. That's true. Uh, Midwest dates, and I should know this, of course, because, you know, I, I go to the events sometimes. Well, you probably don't even know what day today is. Uh, what is today? Today is the 23rd. Yeah. Um, Thursday, 10-1. Friday ten two, Saturday ten three, Sunday ten four. Okay. So that's like not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend after. Correct. Yeah. And uh should be a good time, I would imagine. There'll be uh I as so I'm told, 
Adam said the the GLTC field is out of control. It's going to be like 50 or 55 cars. Oh, man. I might have to find a way to get up there. Well, uh, I imagine if you need to uh, stop in the middle, uh, you know where our place is. So, Yeah, I ain't no sissy boy, though. <laughs> and you guys won't even be there. You'll already be at the track. I don't know when we're going to leave, man. Like, I... Yeah. Uh, getting getting to the track on Thursday means that I've got to like take off work Thursday and Friday and then be back at work Monday morning. I don't know. Now is the whole family going? Probably. I would guess. Um, I mean with the RV it like it gets pretty easy. I was going to say if they're not, I can swing by and pick you up. Well, that's not too bad either, but then we'd have to find a place to sleep. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Adam's new RV, the one that he bought, uh, late last year is awesome. He like did some more renovation and it is so nice inside. Yeah. I, I saw it briefly at uh speed ring, but I haven't seen it since all the winter projects. Well, uh, he, I think he said this on the last show, but, um, it looked as though there was water damage on the inside, on the roof. There was like hmm. a little bit of like mold looking stuff and on he found uh, on the roof over the roof on, on the what on the roof. There you go. <laughs> um, he said he found out when he started pulling the carpet down that it wasn't water damage. It was there had been a fire inside. Oh, no. <laughs> so I, those are the, the joys of RV ownership, I suppose. Ooh. But it, I'm it's all fixed you, now. Dude, it's nice. I was so sketched out with my RV. Like everything ran great. But I just like in my head because the guy came down to pick it up in Orlando, drove it back to Jacksonville. And I was like, please don't call me and tell me something broke. Please don't call me and tell me something broke. And I haven't heard from him since, man. I guess everything's good. Um, that that kind of reminds me of like uh, when when I sold my Evo to that guy here in Indiana. Um, he he didn't have it for very long before he money shifted and blew up the motor. Oh God! And that's right. I forgot about that. And so, I, at at that moment, I kind of felt like absolved. It was like, all right, now it's now it's really yours, and anything that happens yeah. is on you. <laughs> it's kind of nice to like not have to be worrying about something anymore, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the shame was when he bought it after he had that that problem. I mean, he was still like talking to me about stuff because he's like learning about the car. He wasn't like he wasn't an expert in it. Uh, at the time. And I was like, you just please take it to Andy. Like there's, there's no one who will do it as good or as cheap as Andy will do it. And yeah. you know what? He didn't listen and he blew another motor. Oh really? Yeah. Oh man. That'll happen. See, and that's like why I kind of want an Evo or something, but at the same time I don't, I've looked at Subarus for a little while and I just, PSDST motors are like a thousand dollars on eBay. Yeah, dude. Because they to, use that motor in a lot of stuff. Like I think that's the same motor that they put in some of like the escapes or the whatever the small looking escape is. Like they use that motor in a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's hard to beat. So plus you can make like I can put three grand into it and be making like two eighty to the wheels. That's and like three hundred something torque. That's so much. Yeah. That's so much. But that, apparently stock they have tons of stor- torque steer issues. So uh, I'm probably going to have to put an LSD in it, but that's only like $900. Now, um, it's been a little while since we talked. Are you the kind of person that would do that work yourself or would you just pay someone to have it done? No, I don't pay anybody to do anything unless I don't think I can handle it. And a lot of times what happens, I get into it 
myself. And if I can't handle it, then I take it to somebody. Yeah, I know that feeling. So I'll give everything a crack myself. Like this house needs a lot of like maintenance on the wood because it's a log cabin. Sure. So I'm going to do pretty much all of it myself. What, uh, what, like, what will be the first thing that has to be done and how will you do it? The stain needs to be uh, reapplied. On the outside? Yeah, the exterior stain um, will need to be touched up in a couple areas before winter. Got it. Um, just to protect the logs. Okay. So, And that's actually something you have to do every like two, three, four years, depending on how much sunlight it gets. Gotcha. And you'll do that with, I assume you'll do that with a, like a, a sprayer gun of some kind. So a lot of people say that it's not the best idea to spray it because you can't like get it down in the crevices in the woods. So a lot of guys roll it or hand brush it. Interesting. So I'll probably end up running a boom lift um, at the house because the back wall is like two stories tall. Plus the footer is probably four feet above the ground before the house even starts. So it's pretty high up there. And then the garage is in the basement and it's a two story house. So you have three stories high that you have to go to apply the stain. Yeah. That's pretty high. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of work. Um, and then what else do I need to do? The wheelchair ramp that's here needs to be stained before winter as well. Cause it's never had a stain. Um, cause they put everything in about three years ago and usually you let the wood dry out for about two to three years before you do a stain. Wow. So it's just my, my whole life now is just woodworking and yard work is what it's going to be. You know, I, uh, I did not expect that I could say I, I agree. Um, but for the majority of the year, I've been making the, uh, trophies for competition for grid life with a friend oh, of mine. Oh, that's right. Um, out of some of the more rare and expensive hardwoods that I can find. Using like koa and stuff like that? Uh, using what? Koa wood? K-O-A? No, I haven't, I haven't bought any of that. Um, okay. What did I buy? So this year I've purchased Purple Heart, which is very pretty. Uh, okay. Paduke, Mahogany, Walnut, Jatoba, and then this last one is canary wood, and uh, it was the most expensive wood that I have ever purchased. No, really, it's not like it. It is insanely expensive, but it is not the most expensive wood you can get. Okay, um, but yeah, it's been kind of a fun project, and I I basically uh, cut and shape everything, um, and then he just on a whim bought a laser engraver system um, that basically does like high precision wood burning, Um, like really, really high precision, effectively just like a print. Um, And we uh, like do all the etching and stuff on that. And then I stain them and uh, or finish them and then use them for the event. And like, it's kind of gotten me into more of that kind of stuff. It's kind of nice, isn't it? Like it's almost therapeutic. So like that's woodworking is something that my dad always did. And I never like, he would always ask me to like come out to the shop and I never would uh, Mm -hmm. because I'm allergic to sawdust. And uh, well, now it's like, well, I, I kind of like this. And the weird thing is that I don't necessarily enjoy the process as much as I like the finished product. 
and I right. can't afford to pay someone to make me the product. To make the finished so product. I'm, yeah. So that's I'm just going to do the that's work. That's kind of where we're at. Like I'm going to make our kitchen table and like tables for the porch and everything. So like this house has a gigantic, like 10 foot wide porch around two sides of the house in a big L shape. Well, I, and I, I don't think Ashley's going to let me do it, but, um, a friend of mine, um, back in Michigan has a like spectacularly beautiful, uh, custom wood panel office with like, uh, it's, it's like a built in kind of Gothic style library. Uh, where they've got bookcases and a work area. Rich like, mahogany and oh, leather-bound books. Dude, it's ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> he sent me a bunch of pictures over the last weekend, and I'm looking at it, and it's like, okay, well, like, I can look at this and see how it was constructed, and it's like, well, I should just do this. Nice. Because, like, if it, especially in the era of working from home, there's, like, there's nothing... Um, actually, I'm going to text this to you right now. Um, there's, like, nothing that that um, encourages this kind of work than an office that looks serious. Well, speaking of that, like apparently lumber prices are almost at an all time high right now because of the demand. Yeah. Because everybody's just doing home projects. Yeah. I believe that. Uh, Let's see. I really wish that our lot was wooded. It's not, it's actually cleared. Like it's an old pasture. But if it was wooded, I could mill my own wood, which would be really nice. That would be neat. So one of the mountain bike channels that I've been watching, um, that's what he does. Uh, Berm Peak over in North Carolina. This guy named Seth. And he'll like fell a tree and then end up cutting it up. Like he has a, a chainsaw mill. So essentially you use like the chainsaw to cut everything, to rough cut it. Um, but it has it to where you can kind of set the level and the thickness. So it's pretty, it's pretty neat. So uh, check your phone right now. I've got these awesome pictures of this office. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. That is pretty rad. So I feel like, I, I feel like if you did it, though, you'd have to hide the door behind a bookcase <laughs> to where you're in the room and like, it doesn't feel like there's a door at all. Yeah. Well, he, um, when he's, he's the kind of person that enjoys nice things, I guess. Um, but he was looking for a house when he moved to this spot in Michigan and he purchased this house on the basis of this one room. He walked oh, in, oh, he walked in. Yeah. He, he walked in okay. and he, he saw the office and he's like, all right, no, this is it. This, I, I have to have this house. Man. And the room itself is not actually that big. I think it's probably, you know, 60 square feet, maybe. I mean, it's like a small, small bedroom size, uh, okay. but it's beautiful. And for the last six months, he's worked exclusively from that room. Yeah. I mean, that's nice to have. Ashley thinks that uh, the, the wood paneling looks dated, but I think it looks magnificent. See, like, I'm not a big wood, wood grain fan. Like, Jessica loved the house, so that's why we bought it. I love the property and this little extra building out here. So we ended up with it. I'm trying to get her to say it's okay to paint the whole inside of the cabin white. I want to paint the whole outside of the cabin white too and just make it look like a modern farmhouse. Yeah, I mean, you can do that. Um, And my opinion in general is that I prefer uh, painted materials almost all the time except for my opinion of offices. Like an office library should always look like this to me. Like okay. it should look like you're at Hogwarts. 
Yeah, you need to put some like candlesticks in the corner and light them. Exactly. So uh, we're into this for about 47 minutes, which is a long time. Dang. I think we should probably end this show uh, with the intent to maybe do something on Patreon if we can get Derek on the line. Okay. So uh, the, the boys and girls for the Patreon support, we love you very much. We apologize for not doing enough for you. Event season is very hard. It's, it's so hard, and uh, it's really hard when we have lives uh, and jobs outside of grid life. And then, like, you add grid life on top of life, and then it's just grid life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you for everybody for the support, and uh, we will uh, talk to you soon. All right. Good talking to you, Ed. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at Grid Life to say hello. Hello.